Amen. It is a privilege and honor to worship our living God. Amen. We worship him in song and in prayer. Now let's worship him through the reading of his word. If you will take your Bibles and open them to Philippians chapter 4. Verses 1 through 3. If you need a Bible, there's a pew Bible in front of you. And if you don't own a Bible, feel free to take that with you today as our gift. We want the Word of God into your life and into your heart. Philippians chapter 4, verses 1 through 3. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown. Stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. I entreat Iodia and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Let's pray it again together. Father, we come and we are privileged to have the word of God to read, to study, to apply in our lives. We're privileged to be here to hear the preaching of your word. And Father, we are thankful for these two ladies in this passage. We're thankful that you use, redeem, and call into service both male and female to be fellow workers in the gospel. And yet, Lord, we know that we get sideways that we have conflict. And so, Father, may we listen with our ears and with our spirit, and may we learn today to be peacemakers and not warmongers. May we learn the ministry of reconciliation. Lord, we need to be doers of your word and not hearers only this morning. By your spirit, make it so. In Jesus' name, amen. Let me just start by saying, I dearly love this church that we call LifeBridge. I love you all as a congregation. In fact, I have been part of this church family now for almost 50 years, so I'm aging myself a little bit. And for those who don't know, I grew up in this church. I started attending this church when I was almost five years old, and And so grew up here because my dad was the pastor at this church and went away to college and came back and was just a lay person, started working in our youth group and over time uh, became the youth pastor here for several years. And now I have had the privilege of pastoring this church for the last 19 years and I love this church. And though I love this church, and I say that in all sincerity, with all my heart, I have also come to learn that sometimes the church can get a Well, a little weird. As Pastor Chris says, the church can get a little sideways. Uh, We can get a little wacky in our relationships with one another. As one author puts it, in family life and in church life, there's always this huge gap between the ideal world and the real world. And so in the real world of church life, let me tell you, disagreements can happen. Conflicts are bound to take place. The ministry of the church is always the ministry of people. And that can get a little messy at times. Because, let's be honest, we, we here as people, we can be messy at times. A whole lot of times. People can be disagreeable. People can be selfish. And sometimes people can be just downright impossible to get along with. 
Perhaps you're sitting by somebody like that. Now, don't raise your hand if that's your spouse, you know. We'll, pre- we'll have a message on marriage maybe later on or something. There's a reason this little poem was written years ago. To live above with the saints we love, oh, that will be glory. But to live below with the saints we know, well, that's another story. And so like our church even today, the church at Philippi was made up of people. And that also sets the stage for disagreements and personal conflict in the church. And so Paul writes to the church of Philippi, And because it's recorded in Scripture for us, he's writing to us even today. And he says, in verse 1 of chapter 4, Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. And then he continues in verse 2, I entreat Yodia, and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Yes, I also ask you, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. And so, as you can hear with Paul's own writing here, as I read these words, you can hear his loving concern with very tender words he writes and he encourages us here. And he he tells us that the mark of a stable church is such. He identifies for us that here is one defining overall mark of a stable church when he says stand thus firm in the Lord. And so notice this in your notes. A church that stands firm in the Lord is diligently devoted to maintaining unity within the local body of Christ. That's what Paul is saying to us this morning. That is his big idea in verses 1, 2, and 3 of this chapter. A church that stands firm in the Lord is going to be diligently devoted to maintaining unity within their congregation. Now, it's obvious here that Paul's addressing a problem in the church. There's no doubt about that. Two women couldn't agree on something, and the discouragement, or I should say the disagreement, was so big, it was actually threatening the unity of the church when they needed it most. Instead of standing firm in one spirit, these two women were arguing and bickering, and this personal conflict was stirring up disunity within the church of Philippi. And so Paul now urges them through this letter to stop for the sake of the gospel and for the sake of unity within the church. Now, Paul has repeatedly made this point. He's talked about the importance of unity all throughout this letter that we have seen here over the course of the last couple months. That the key to standing firm in is unity. He tells us in Philippians 1.27, Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear that you are standing firm, and notice how, standing firm how? In one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. He continues later on in chapter 2, verse 2. Complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. He's speaking of unity here. And then he continues, and he goes on to describe the mindset that we need to have that fosters this kind of unity 
in verses 3 and 4 where he says, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interests of others. Now, unity is something that Paul doesn't just talk about here in the book of Philippians. He actually, he addresses this important topic all throughout his letters. For example, listen to what he says in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 10. He's writing to the church, this time not at Philippi, but the church at Corinth. And he says to them, I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree, and that there be no divisions among you but that you be united in the same mind and the same judgment. And then he writes to the church at Ephesus. You go to his epistle of Ephesians, there in chapter 4, verses 1 through 3, he says, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, I urge you to walk in a manner now that's worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace, he says. And so as we here at LifeBridge, as we now strive, and by the way, that's what it takes. It takes a striving to do this. It's effort. It's work. It doesn't come automatically. It doesn't come easily. And so as we strive to maintain unity in our church here at LifeBridge, here's an important truth that I want you to just catch I want you to hear, and that is how we respond to personal conflict. It shows what we really believe about the gospel of Jesus Christ. It also shows what we really think about the unity in the church of Christ. In other words, do we believe that the gospel makes a difference in our relationships, not just with the holy God, But does it make a difference in our relationships with one another on the horizontal plane? And do we believe that unity in the church is important enough to strive after by pursuing reconciliation when it is needed, when it's called for? Pursuing peace with someone. You see, our relationships with one another here in the body of Christ, they really do matter. They matter. The Bible talks about that. Jesus says so. And because our relationships with one another in the body of Christ matter, listen, we have a passage like this before us in our Bibles urging us now to reconcile when everything in our culture is dividing us. And so how we respond to disagreements with one another, how we respond to personal conflicts with one another, it shows what we really think, what we really believe about the kind of reconciliation that Jesus offers us in the gospel. And if we truly believe that unity in the church is important enough to pursue when called for, when needed, when it's threatening the unity of the church. So how do we do this? Well, Paul lays it out for us, really, in two simple ways. Number one, how to solve or resolve personal conflict in the church. Number one, first of all, acknowledge the reality of it. Acknowledge the reality of personal conflict in the church. This is what Paul does in verse 2. 
he acknowledges the reality of all this when he says in verse 2, I entreat Yodia and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Now, if anybody was dozing off in the worship service while this letter was being read, let me tell you, they were wide awake now. As you can imagine, all eyes were on these two women sitting in the gathered assembly as this letter is being read. And so Paul diplomatically, he doesn't give any of the details behind the conflict, but something is obviously not only wrong, but dangerously at work in this congregation. In fact, this disunity has reached a serious enough level to make its way from the church of Philippi all the way to Rome where Paul is in prison. He's under house arrest and he's heard about it. And so now he's writing this letter to go back to the church of Philippi to address this very problem. So what was the problem? What was the conflict between these two women? Well, notice this in your notes. There was some sort of disagreement, and that's about all we know. There was a disagreement between two women. Perhaps it was due to a personal wrong between one of them, between them both. Perhaps it was due to a personality clash between them. Perhaps it was due to just different priorities. And that's all common. We understand that. We don't know any of the details of the disagreement between these two women. And here's the deal. That doesn't even matter. It doesn't matter that we don't know the details. Because we ourselves today, listen, all of us, we can fill in the blanks, can we not? We can fill in the blanks with our own experiences. And we know what disagreements are like. We know what disagreements are like with somebody here in the church. We know what disagreements are like even in our family, with a coworker, perhaps even a neighbor, a friend, you name it. And many of us know all too well the disunity, a deep disagreement can cause in a church or even our physical families. So who were these two women in conflict? Well, not much is known about these two women other than what Paul mentions in these two verses. So here's what we know about them. We know their names. Their names are Yodia and Syntyche, which are interesting names. But more than their names, Paul makes makes two comments about them that are rather important. According to verse 3, they were sisters in Christ, whose names are in the book of life. That's important. And although Paul calls them out by name... He also commends these two women. He praises these two women publicly as this letter is being read aloud to the whole congregation, the church of Philippi. And so, yes, he calls them out by name because the the disunity that's being caused is serious enough to warrant a public acknowledgement of it. But at the same time, he commends them, he praises them before he ever gets to the exhortations. The commands, if you will. And he says, he commends them when he says that they're not only sisters in Christ, but they are servants of Christ who labored side by side with Paul in the gospel. You see, Paul recognized these women as valuable partners in the advance of the gospel. Laboring with him, he says, side by side for the sake of the ministry. And so Yudia and Syntyche, listen, they were influential women who likely played a very prominent role in the church of Philippi. They were highly regarded. They were well-loved by the church at large. 
just as they were highly regarded and well-loved by the Apostle Paul himself. And there was a time when these two women, they stood shoulder to shoulder, side by side with Paul, listen to this, striving together for the gospel. But now, they are striving against one another in some sort of disagreement. And Paul's addressing that. Why? Because it's threatening the unity of the church of Philippi. Now, two observations from this that I want to make us aware of. The first of which is disagreements are inevitable in the church. Even among mature Christians. Because what is interesting about this is we have seen so far in our study through the book of Philippians, Paul loves this church. He dearly loves it. And he has a lot of praise for this church. He commends this church over and over again. They are a great church. But they are not free from disagreements. They're not free from conflicts because they're not a perfect church. It was flawed. Just like all churches are flawed. Just like LifeBridge is flawed. And these disagreements can involve both men and women or a combination of either. Now, thankfully, I'm not aware of any deep, divisive disagreements that's causing disunity within our church here at LifeBridge. At least I'm not aware of that. And, And to that I say, hallelujah, praise the Lord, right? That's a good thing. But that doesn't mean a disagreement can't flare up this week and we might hear about it next Sunday. Doesn't mean a disagreement can't flare up before church, in the parking lot, before you enter the building. It doesn't mean a disagreement can't flare up after church, down at the cookout, because you don't like how somebody took the hamburger you were going to pick. And now we're upset about that. Or you didn't like that this person got to grill the meat, and you didn't. Whatever. Whatever. You see, the question is not whether we can avoid disagreements, but how we deal with them when they arise. And we're looking at two women who were mature sisters in Christ. Listen, these were not new believers in Christ, but something had happened, and now these two women are at odds with one another. Words were flying, the heat was rising, and disharmony was spreading throughout the body. Second observation, disagreements between a few can cause division among many in the church. Imagine this started out with a disagreement between two faithful women in the church, and now it has become the prevailing issue that threatens the unity of the entire church. And that's because personal conflicts have no desire to remain anonymous. Have you found that to be true? Gossip has no interest in staying quiet. Both relish a growing audience. Now, Paul has hinted around the edges of this disagreement all throughout this letter. And now he finally addresses what everyone knew was the elephant in the room. The greatest threat to the church of Philippi, it was not a doctrinal issue. This disagreement, we know it was not over a doctrinal issue. Otherwise, Paul would have addressed it head on, because that's the way Paul is. It was disharmony between two faithful sisters in Christ. 
As one author writes, Paul knew that unless decisive action was taken quickly, the Philippian church could dissolve into divisive, hostile factions. Even if its doctrine is sound, disunity rubs, robs a church of its power and destroys its testimony. And so perhaps the church has already begun taking sides with one group siding with Yodia and another group siding with Syntyche and a third group just trying to stay above the fray. Stay out of the mix. All the while, the enemy of the church is celebrating about this. I've heard it said that in any church disagreement, the devil doesn't take sides. He just provides both sides with ammunition. Thus, Paul knows that this conflict, it needs to be dealt with. And so he confronts it, yes, firmly, but very tenderly, very lovingly and directly. Which brings us to Paul's resolution for resolving personal conflict in the church. And that is to accept it. Accept his resolution that he writes. Accept the resolution that he gives to us in the inspired scriptures here in Philippians. Yes, Paul calls out these women by name. But I just love how he uses a very, very gracious approach in appealing to them to reconcile when he says in verse 2, look at it, I entreat Yodia and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. That is beautiful. It is beautiful on what Paul does here. And did you notice how Paul refuses to take sides? Paul does not write, I entreat Yodia to agree with Syntyche. Nor does he write, I entreat Syntyche to agree with Yodia. Instead, Paul repeats his plea to both of them. I entreat Yodia and I entreat Syntyche. And so by appealing to them both equally, Paul doesn't take sides with either one of them. And this is a good principle for all of us to follow since taking sides causes even further division, even further disunity. What else is interesting here and what's so beautiful about this appeal by Paul is as an apostle, he actually had the authority here to issue a command to these two women. Paul doesn't do that. Instead, Paul, he graciously appeals to both of them with this word, entreat. Now, we don't use that word much in our vocabularies today, but this word entreat, it can also be translated as beg, as implore or urge. It means to come alongside of someone and to speak gently to them. So it's the picture of Paul, even though he's 800 miles away in a Roman prison, and, and this letter's being read in the church of Philippi, it's like he is there in his presence And by his writing, he's coming alongside and he's putting his arms around these two women. And he's saying to both of them, I entreat you. I'm appealing to you. I'm begging you. I'm imploring you to agree in the Lord. It's done with tender affection, graciousness. Paul, he's not pulling rank as an apostle and commanding these two women with bravado. He is humbly pleading with these two respected co-labors in the church to now behave in keeping with the gospel that they have all defended and have strove to advance. Two exhortations. 
two exhortations here that Paul gives us. The first exhortation is actually to those in conflict. The second exhortation, as we'll see, is to those that are in the church. Notice, it's a simple exhortation to these two women that are in conflict. It is simply agree in the Lord. That's his exhortation to them. That's his urging. That's his appeal. Why? Because the gospel gives us something to agree on that is much, much bigger than our disagreements. That's why he appeals to them to agree in the Lord. And this word agree, it it means to have the same mind or to think the same thing. And once again, agree here, it's used in the context of unity within the church body, not uniformity. It doesn't mean that you are not allowed to have your own ideas and opinions. The focus is on unity within the church. And so Paul is calling us to have the same dominating mindset, the same dominating attitude that controls all our behavior. And what is that mindset? It's what Paul's been talking about all through the book of Philippians. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ. We are to be gospel-driven And so he's basically saying to us here, don't allow some personal spat, some personal strife to get in the way of striving together for the sake of the gospel. Instead of striving against one another, strive with one another for what's most important. This is why Paul exhorts us to agree how or what? Agree in the Lord. That's the key to this whole thing. It's because we, as believers in Christ, listen, we are now united in Christ, and that's the reason why we can agree in the Lord. And so here Paul urges these two women, notice this, this is super important. He doesn't, he doesn't urge them to, to just decide who's right. It's not what he's telling them. Don't figure out who's right here and who's wrong. He's not even urging them to come up with a compromise that's acceptable to both of them. Paul's concern is that their disagreement, it has disrupted their ability to display in their relationship the unity that is theirs in the Lord as sisters in Christ. One author put it this way. When your relationship with a Christian brother or sister hits an impasse, when you cannot resolve a disagreement, when it is a strain even to be in the same room with him or her, at that moment you both need to pause and take heart Paul's gentle reminder to Yodia in Syntyche that there is a third person involved. The tense situation includes not only believers who disagree with each other and hurt each other, but also the Lord in whom you both now live as citizens of heaven. You see, as believers in Christ, we, we hear, we, we have something holy that is actually joining us together because the Holy One has joined us to himself. And that changes everything. It means we don't have an option to disagree without seeking reconciliation, without seeking peace, if it would rise to that level. 
Paul knew all too well that it is possible for our disagreements to get so in the way that we think to ourselves, there's no other option except separation. Separation from that person. And here's what happens most of the time in the American church. Separation from the church at their end. They just leave. Instead of dealing with the issue. But that should not be the norm for those who are in the Lord. Listen, if I am in Christ and and you are in Christ and we disagree, the nature of our disagreement is not like the disagreements that we find out in the world. How could it be? We are members together in one body. We are members in the body of Christ. Therefore, we disagree on different terms entirely. Listen, the gospel knows nothing of cancel culture. And that's what's taking place in our culture today. I disagree with you. Therefore, I'll cancel you. I'll cancel your values, your ideas, whatever you think. Cancel you. You're out of here. All right, I'll leave. And that's what we do. Instead of dealing with it. Paul urged these women to let what was most true about them, that is their union in Christ by the gospel of Christ, overcome whatever separated them. Now here's the question. Maybe you've thought thought of it already here this morning. If not, that's okay. Here's the question we all need to be thinking about. Who, who is obligated to take the first step in pursuing reconciliation in the Lord? Have you, have you, are you thinking of your answer? And the answer is, resolving conflicts is the first job of those involved in the conflict. Let me say that again. Resolving conflicts is always the first job of those involved in the conflict. doesn't matter who started it. But that's the way we think. That's always the way we tend to think. But that's not what Paul says. In fact, it's not what Jesus says. Jesus says in Matthew 18, 15, If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone, and if he listens to you, you've gained your brother back. But then the situation is reversed later on in Matthew, or earlier in Matthew chapter 5, verses 23 and 24, where Jesus says, so if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First, be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer your gift. So both, here's the deal, The question is, who's obligated to take the first step in pursuing reconciliation in the Lord? And the answer is, both the offender and the offended must take the first step in pursuing reconciliation. In other words, it's your responsibility to take the journey. It's your responsibility to take the journey and go to that person, that brother or sister in Christ. And without taking sides, without assigning blame, Paul appeals to both Yodia and Siki to go and agree in the Lord. He's pleading with them to let the friction die, to let the one mind that is yours in the Lord prevail over your disagreement. 
And so remember, in the Lord Jesus Christ, our disagreements, and they are inevitable, and even our differences of opinions, and we're going to have them, are we not? Sure we are. We don't all think alike. We don't all have the same opinions about stuff. I mean, I like, you know, just take barbecue, for example. We all have opinions about barbecue. My favorite place, and Jack's on board with me on this one, we like Arthur Bryant's, that's the favorite. But I know some of you are like, how? Casey Joe's, man, that's where it's at. Or Q39, yeah. See? (laughs) Vocal differences here in the body of Christ. But that's okay. Why? Because we're brothers and sisters in the Lord. There's something bigger at stake here that's uniting us together. And so remember, even in, in the Lord Jesus Christ, our disagreements and even our differences are not points of separation, but it is actually the proof of the gospel's unifying power. Disagreements are inevitable, but the gospel, folks, listen, the gospel gives us something to agree on that is bigger than our disagreements. The second exhortation, the first is to those in conflict. The second exhortation here is to those in the church. So now, Paul is speaking to the whole body. Now, in context, we're going to see he's actually speaking to one person, but it's written to the whole church. And that is to help people reconcile. Help people reconcile. Why? Because God's grace, believe it or not, it makes all of us peacemakers in making peace and maintaining unity. Look what Paul writes in verse 3. He says, yes, I also ask you... Or I ask you also, true companion, help these women. Now, that means this is a community project. Reconciliation is a community project in the body of Christ. Paul asked others, and it goes against everything that we're used to, to get involved. Yes, it's the responsibility of these two women to agree in the Lord, but he's asking one who is called a, quote, true companion to help these women reconcile. Paul, he trusted this true companion to have the wisdom to discern the sort of help that these sisters in Christ needed in order to reconcile their relationship. So this is not, please hear me, this is not Yodius and Syntyche's private problem. But again, that's the way we think here in America, is it not? And it creeps into the church. So it's not their private problem to which others, the church body, can just turn a blind eye to. Why? Because Paul's saying that their need calls for the help of others in the church. Perhaps the perspective of a third party. And often this is the case. It helps bring clarity to the one-sided perception of one or both of these people that are in conflict. Perhaps the involvement of this true companion would also alert these women to the sobering truth that their personal conflict was threatening the unity of the church. So who is this true companion? Well, that's been debated for years. (laughs) And scholars have written all kinds of information, what they think, who the true companion is. And the, the bottom line is we don't know who this person is. But the church knew who that person was. 
Paul doesn't identify the true companion. Although, like I said, many Bible scholars have written what they think, who it is. I actually think, and many Bible scholars think the same thing here, which is why I think along with them, that it was perhaps Epaphroditus was the true companion. We don't know, though. It doesn't matter. In fact, in the end, who he was, listen to me, it wasn't as important as what, what he's supposed to do. And what's he supposed to do? Help these women reconcile. Paul wanted these two women to agree so much that he now leveraged other relationships in the church to help reconcile this relationship. In other words, Paul recruited some peacemakers here. And why would Paul do this? Because these women mattered greatly. They were part of the body of Christ at the church of Philippi. They mattered greatly not only to Paul, but to the whole church. And now their disagreement is rippling out to the edges, and it was adversely affecting the church's unity. Now maybe, maybe you've witnessed two Christians disagree with one another. In fact, even two well-respected Christians disagree. And you look at them, and you think in your mind, man, I, I, I know they love Jesus, and they can't get along. I mean, what's, what's going on here? What's up with that? And when that happens, we tend to do one of two things. We either take sides, and normally we take sides based on our preferences and biases. Oh, I like this person a little better. So I'm, I'm on their side. I'm in their corner. Or we just withdraw from the whole thing. We just back out. Like, nah, 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 not for me. But Paul says, nope, there's a third option. And that's what I'm calling you to as a church. Instead of taking sides, instead of withdrawing, he calls on the church to help people reconcile. In other words, when there is a, a disagreement that's divisive enough to start threatening the unity of the church, Paul is exhorting us to actually jump in the middle of it. To get involved. Not to take sides, but to disarm the conflict and to help people reconcile. In other words, Paul is saying to us here at LifeBridge this morning, don't sit on the sidelines and watch a disagreement, a divisive disagreement, actually cause disunity in the church body that you're a part of. And when we do that, we are just as guilty, just as wrong as the people in conflict. To sit on the sidelines and to withdraw. You see, there's probably between two people, but Paul brings the whole church into it. Encourages everyone. In fact, what's interesting is this word help that Paul uses. It is an awesome word. It's a great word that he uses. This word help, it, it carries a very strong sense of physical action. Physical action. It's to lay hold of. It's to grab hold of something. And so the, the implication is that these two women have moved so far apart in their hearts because they're disagreeing, that they need now someone to help them even physically bring them together in the same room and help bring them to a point of reconciliation. 
That's the idea behind the word help that Paul's using. In calling on us to help people reconcile, Paul is reminding us here of the necessity of the body of Christ in maintaining unity in the church. Even to the point of helping people. And if that means physically going to that person and talking to them, and then the other one and pleading with them and saying, listen, we, you need, come with me. I'll arrange this meeting. We're coming together face-to-face. We're not doing this in email. We're not doing this over text. We're doing this face-to-face. We're getting together, and we're going to talk this out. And if, if you want me to be there, I will. I'll act as a third party, a mediator. I'll help bring clarity to the situation. That's our responsibility as a body of Christ. That's what Paul is saying. And so again, when disagreements arise in the church, the church body is is not called to take sides. It's not called to withdraw, but to help bring people together. Why? For the sake of unity in the church. So here's two practical takeaways. This is not in your notes, but if you want to jot it down, that's fine. First of all, don't let your fear of meddling keep you from seeking to help people reconcile. And and I'll be honest, you know what? We all have this fear of, quote, meddling, because none of us want to be labeled as a meddler, right? Nobody wants to be labeled that. You're just meddling. You're getting in somebody's business. But can I just say that there is a huge difference between self-centered meddling for the sake of just gaining morsels of gospel gossip to share with others and that's your only motive in meddling in the situation and seeking to help with gospel-centered reconciliation huge difference between the two and the second application here don't think oh please 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 do not think that it is not anyone's business if your disagreement with someone is such that it rises to the level that it causes disunity in the church And now you're going to fly off the handle. You're going to get even more hostile, more animosity, because now somebody is confronting you and approaching you about the situation. And you're like, that's none of your business. Yes, it is their business. Why? Because we're all part of the family of God. We're all part of the local body of Christ that's called LifeBridge here. It's all of our business when the disagreement and differences start affecting the unity of our church. Now, again, it's inevitable disagreements are going to happen, differences of opinion. And that doesn't mean when there's just little disagreements, little differences of opinion that we, oh, oh, that's a problem. No, not every disagreement and difference is a problem. Again, we're talking about where it rises to the level that it threatens the unity of the body of Christ. That's when we're called to do two things. People in conflict agree in the Lord. To those in the church, help these people reconcile. It's the church's business because we're part of the body of Christ. Now, as we close this out here, kind of. Isn't it funny? I said kind of. There's no doubt we we live in a culture of disagreement. More than ever. In fact, nowadays, it is like a national pastime. We have made it a sport to disagree. 
As someone wrote, we love to disagree. It drives us, it motivates us, it riles us up, it gets us moving toward the post button of social media to find like-minded friends and to own our dim-witted enemies. And so we find disagreement everywhere today. Republicans versus Democrats, Fox News versus CNN, maskers versus anti-maskers, vaxxers versus anti-vaxxers, Jordan versus LeBron. By the way, Jordan rules LeBron. KU versus MU, Dunkin' Donuts versus Starbucks. We don't care what it is today in our culture. We will disagree and argue over everything, anything it seems like. And this creeps into the church. And so disagreements, listen, it may mark the world, unbelievers. But Paul is saying here in Philippians that unity ought to mark the church, us. Why? Because of who we are in the Lord and what we have in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so notice how Paul concludes his appeal to resolving conflict at the end of verse 3. Look at this. Don't miss it. He says, whose names are in the book of life. Now, that phrase there is very convicting, but also very encouraging. That phrase is convicting. It's almost as if Paul is, he's subtly reminding us that we're all going to die someday. And then, what will be said of us as it relates to the harmony and unity of the church after we pass away? Just think, Yodia and Syntyche are known. Yes, they're known as sisters in Christ. They're known as servants of Christ. But here they are, they're also known as two women who couldn't get along. But here's the point. What would Paul say about you and me if he was to write a letter about our church or to our church? So this phrase is convicting, but it's also very, very encouraging. As believers in Jesus Christ, listen, our names are written in the Lamb's book of life. It's as if Paul is also reminding us that, yes, we're going to die, but when we do, we are going where? We're going to heaven. We're going to be in the presence of the Lord. And that, folks, is our motivation for resolving conflict in the church. Maybe you're thinking to yourself, why should I do this, Paul? Why should we agree in the Lord? Why should I even get into somebody's conflict? Why should I help people reconcile? Here's the reason why. Because of God's grace. Our names are written in the book of life. And believe me, folks, this binds us together for all eternity. The book of life refers to a book in heaven where the names of believers are recorded. And so Paul is reminding us here that what binds us together now, today in the present, and also for all eternity is far greater than what can ever pull us apart. And so this is important to remember when we disagree with other believers in Christ. Since our names are written in the book of life, securing our place in heaven with the Lord and... All the other believers in Christ, too. In other words, it's not, it's not just going to be me in heaven in the presence of the Lord. It's also going to be you, Christ follower, you believer in Christ, you born again Christian. You are going to be there as well. And we are bound there in the presence of the Lord for all eternity. And so why not agree in the Lord now? Why not let that future in your life, that destiny, impact the present? 
Why not find in Jesus Christ so much to agree on that you forget what you ever disagreed about? As we close, here's two questions to ask ourselves. First question is this. Am I in conflict with anyone here at LifeBridge? Today, right now. Am I in conflict with anyone? If so, seek to resolve the conflict and reconcile with that person. Paul writes in Romans 12, 18, If possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. And then the second question is, am I willing to help people reconcile here at LifeBridge? Am I willing to do that? It's my responsibility to do that. But am I willing to do that? And while not everyone will be an Epaphroditus, listen, we are called, here's the point, we are called to fulfill the role of a true companion. In other words, here's the point. If you want to be a true companion, a true friend in the body of Christ, you will help others come together and be reconciled. That's a true companion. That's a true brother or sister in Christ. And that's what Paul's calling us to. That is our role, that is our job, our responsibility. And if two people are at odds, you say, well, how do I do that? I'm going to go to them, but what do I say? Man, just, just show them this passage. Show them Philippians 2 and say, listen, Paul calls you to agree in the Lord. And then beyond that, you might even break out your Bible and, and read to them Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 11, where Paul exhorts us to have the mind of Christ. And show us what that looks like. Here's the implications of that. Here's what that means. And just read scripture. If that's all you do, you let the power of the word of God convict and bring people to reconciliation. Listen, because of the gospel, because of the glorious power of the gospel of Jesus Christ, may we, may we be a church here at LifeBridge that stands firm in the Lord by agreeing in the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your mercy and grace in Jesus Christ. Thank you for making a way through Jesus so that we can be reconciled to you. And when disagreements arise between one another here in our church family, Lord, may we find agreement in you and help others to do the same so that we may preserve the unity of this church for your glory and your honor and for the advancement of the gospel. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Listen, I want to invite you to stand, and we're going to close this service out with a song. And we're just going to worship our Lord. But before we sing, I want to leave you with these words. As you stand, listen to what Paul says in Colossians chapter 1. He says, For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in Christ, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, and making peace through his blood shed on the cross. And then listen to what he says. Once you, you were alienated from God. You were enemies. In your minds because of your evil behavior. But now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death 
to present you holy in his sight, without blemish and free from accusation, if you continue in your faith, established and firm, and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel. The gospel of Jesus Christ is the reason why we should be motivated to reconcile with one another, to agree in the Lord, and to help others reconcile as well. Let us close it out with song of worship. Thank you.